Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. We again are starting the series Missions March that we are entitling Staycation, Living Life on Mission. You know, when you look back over the last year, this was our last final week and no one knew it. (laughs) You say, final week? Yeah, before the COVID madness began, right? Before the reality and what has been the greatest technological, sociological shift that we in our lifetime have faced. I mean, the reality It's been an unusual time because things changed, and they changed so rapidly. And as a result of that, people in our day and age, they have an anticipation. It's kind of built into culture, like what's going to happen next? What's going to take place next? What is the roadmap forward? What will the future of the pandemic be? What will the future of the pandemic and how will it play out? People ask the question, what will a post-COVID world look like? We know it's already changing technology. We already know it's changing the social connectivity. We know it's changing how globalization has taken place. We know how it's changing international travel. We know how it's changing all of the different avenues of our economy. And there is a sense that what is happening in our culture is unprecedented. Now, if we never hear that word again in our lifetime, we would probably be good because that's the term we keep hearing. This is an unprecedented time. It's been an unprecedented season. In times like this, we go and we look to history to try to figure out what the future will look like. I know for me, last year in the initial lockdown, I went and borrowed a book. I borrowed a book about the Spanish flu of 1918 and 1919. And when you read about the Spanish flu, what's so interesting is the similarities between the Spanish flu and the COVID reality. But also, what's even more strikingly interesting to me is the differences It was Mark Twain who actually said, history doesn't repeat, history rhymes. So it has somewhat of the same cadence, but there are clear distinctives. But the future, in many ways, in our culture right now, is so open. Maybe, perhaps, more open than it has been in past decades. In this position, we find ourselves, even in Western culture, the future is open. And what that means for us is that we know that God knows the future, but there are many, many, many wide variety of different possibilities of what the future could look like. In fact, if I can just throw this in there, in, in the, the larger the break with normality, the longer that break with normality transpires, the more open the future is. The more open the future is of cultural, the more open the future is of churches being renewed, the more open the future is of what Christianity looks like in the Western world moving forward. And when you're leading a place like a church, many of you leading in your areas, we're leading in our area. And when you lead in a place like a church, people come to me at Dwelling Place Church and they say things like, Craig, what does the future look like? What does it look like for our church? Now in these moments, because there are so many unknowns and so much uncertainty, we can't necessarily plan as much as we can prepare. 
So instead of hammering out all of the details, which is difficult in a paused world, we can prepare ourselves for what God would have next. We have a new normal. All over the media, we keep hearing the phrase, there's a new normal in the world. We've moved from an old phase of American life to an in-between phase. I think it's important for us as the church in the Western world right now to rephrase that. And we can reframe what's happening cultural and say, not what is the new normal after COVID, but what is the new normal that God wants us to live out of? Because let's just be honest, church, there's something a whole lot bigger happening in the church world than just a global pandemic. There's something a whole lot bigger happening in the personal lives of believers than just what's happening with isolationism or a desire for quarantine or whatever the case. God is calling his people to be salt and light in the world at this time. He's calling us to be a city on a hill, a lamp that cannot be hidden. So when I think about that reality, there are three kind of key values that I think cut through the complexity of our time. Those three key values, simple truths that just cut through the mess. I put them at the top of your card and they are abide, renew, and go. Abide, renew, and and go. Abide. We are called to be with him. In quarantine, in a different type of world, we had at least several months to be able to spend more time with Jesus. Locked away in our homes, we had the capacity to remain in Jesus, to be close to Jesus. As John 15 says, to stick close to the vine. For us as believers to realize that all spiritual success happens in our life because we're close to the vine. And if we ever move away from the vine, we will find that fruitlessness will be our motif. The secret of fruitfulness is sticking close to Jesus. We're also called, number two, into step into renewal. Another word for this is transformation. When we follow Jesus, we can't help but to be changed, amen? That we are predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Listen, a healthy Christian is someone who is growing, someone who's growing in Christ-likeness. This week, we want to look at the third word. This month, we want to examine the third word, and that is go. We are to go with Jesus in the world. We are to go with our Savior. Jesus has a mission in the world. His reign, whether believe it or not, from our media is breaking out across the world in the kingdom of God. The reign of Jesus is expanding moment by moment. And what I find is this. Here's what I find, church. There is an element that when we talk about abide, when we talk about stick close to Jesus, when we talk about remaining in Jesus, lots of people resonate with abide. I want to be close to Jesus. We have language in our human experience for that kind of experience. We, we, we talk about you know, being close to Christ and understanding Christ's love and being aware of his presence. And then we also, secondly, we know that there's an invitation to renewal. So whether or not we, we know that renewal is, pa is painful, we know that for us to change as humans is very painful, yet we still find proximity to this word. We're good with it. We don't find much resistance to the renewal. However, when we get to the word go, in the Western church, when we get to mission, when we get to going with Jesus, we get an immediate stepping back. We get an immediate hesitation. We get an immediate, immediate impediment. And so what I want to do today is I want to take that right there and pull it apart and answer what is our biblical role? What is our biblical mission in the world? And today, answering the particular question, 
How do we share the good news of Jesus in our cultural moment? How do we share the good news of Jesus in our day? Now, as soon as we say that, there is an immediate mental map in our minds, right? We look and understand culture, follow me, in a way that is shaped by a past era. Here's my proposal for you today. We think about culture wrongly. We think about culture in a way that has been shaped by a past era, not the era we live in today. In many ways, we understand, graphic on the screen, we understand the church. We have a distinctive message that is distinct from the culture, distinct from the unchurched people around us. And we say, you know what? The whole of American culture is not always warm to the Christian religion. People are somewhat opposed to the Christian religion. And I will just agree with you that Americans in the last at least 30 to 40 years, they have had a resistance to religion. But I think that story, when you honestly boil it down, is not entirely true, even in our Western world. Our nation, no doubt, has been shaped by the Christian story. Now, you know how I feel about this. I've shared this on many times, okay? And you go back and listen to messages. I think the whole us as being a Christian nation is a myth. I think that is a myth of a Christian nation, all right? I don't think that's what we are. We have been shaped by the Christian story, but we, we have no promise to call God to the table in as it relates to our Christian ethic as a nation, okay? And if you want more clarity than that, you can talk to me after. I can't go down that whole road right now. We We have been shaped by the Christian story. But the way we understand our place is here we are the church and then outside of us is the culture. This is how we think. This is our paradigm. To be in a post-Christian culture, let me give you all the different phrases, secular culture, post-Christian culture. We call it all kinds of different things in our Western world. There's all kinds of different terms we use, but we believe that they, as being one swath of culture, they, whoever they is, are resistant to the message of Jesus. They are rejecting the message of Christ through the church. And we have this imagery imagery where we are way down here, and then there is this vast, what I call monolithic culture, right? Like we're all, like these people are all the same. So when we talk about sharing the gospel, when we get into March missions, March missions like is, is like unlike the rest of the whole year at DP. This is the one month where we leave our little encampments. And we get out of our little encampment and we make our way across the great chasm. And we move our way into this monolithic block called culture, not warm to Christianity, against the gospel. And we share with this giant force, which is, again, hostile to the Christian message. And we think of the largest atheist voices in our world that we see on social media or we see in media. And we think that that is the voice of this majority. We think that is what people believe. But I actually think that we are living through a profound shift. I think right now in our world, there is something deeply transformative. Now, I'm going to agree with you. After World War II, in a lot of Western cultures, there was what we called the mass growth culture. So when World War II ended, all of the people coming back to their Western worlds, people started wearing the same clothes, people started listening to the same music, people started watching the same movies. And so you had what is still in our minds today, this vast monolithic people looking like the same. 
And this is how, this is, is, is permeated our being and permeated our perception that we think now that we are the church fighting against this one big block of culture. But we are living in a moment now where culture is being turned on its head. And we realize now it's no longer us, the church, and then this big swath called the culture. The reality of 21st century life in Georgia is a multicultural reality. Next slide. This is how our culture looks like. We are surrounded by all kinds of different subcultures. If you look at Atlanta, Georgia, 6.2 million people. We are now ninth largest metropolitan area in the West, in America. 25% of our city was born overseas. 25% of our city was not born in American soil. We are the 19th largest city for the LGBTQ community. 6.2% of Atlantans now identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. We have 55% of Atlanta is black. We, we have 35% of Atlanta is white. So most people in this community are the, the minority of our community, the minority of our city. We have Asians that make up 5%. When you talk about the actual city of Atlanta, you've got $106,000 median income in the actual city of Atlanta. Most people don't realize that. We're now the ninth largest city in GDP across the world. We are a very, very diverse, multicultural, multi-ethnic reality right here in Metro Atlanta. It's a place with so many different beliefs. And you think of all those backgrounds and you think of all those different languages and then you think of the distinct worldviews that people have. And you think of all of the different religious upbringings they've received. And what's happening is we live in a culture shaped by globalization. People are moving across the globe at an unprecedented rate. And the internet is rapidly changing the way we interact with one another. It's changing the way humans connect with one another. Where new identities and new thoughts are moving at an incredible pace. Now they don't have to be put into the mainstream media. They can go right through social media and the proliferation of ideas and new realities are always being communicated. So the society now is not here is the church in our circle and then here's the block called culture. The church is rather in the midst of all of these different cultures and different people have a wide variety of different reactions to the Christian faith. Different reactions. Sometimes when we have that old paradigm and we think we're the circle and culture's the block, we think we are here and the culture believes something different from us and they moved on now and they're scientific and they're like professors, okay? And they're like Darwinists now, like that's who they are. When in reality, the, the reality of 21st century American people is we don't really know where people are. If you randomly pick someone on the street in Woodstock, I'm talking even Woodstock, you could, they could come from a religion that sees us as not even conservative enough, like the way we dress or the values we hold. You could pick someone in Woodstock who is a lapsed Muslim. You could interact with someone at your school who is an atheist. You could connect with someone on the street who is a practice, practicing Jew. 
The, the, the diversity, I, I, I detail cars on the side. I have detailed a lot of cars in the last year. I interact with everybody I detail. I go to their home. I watch them in many ways interact with their family members. It is unbelievable how diverse we are, even in Cherokee County. From all different backgrounds, from all different thought processes, from all different worldviews, you could go downtown Woodstock today and find someone who grew up with the Muslim faith but is questioning it. They're at a place where they're, they're at a crossroads of life. There's a whole variety of what people believe in our culture at the moment. So we have to shift away, listen church, from thinking that here we are and then there's a big culture opposed to Christianity. Are there all people open? No, a lot of people are doing the same thing they did before the pandemic. But there are more people with openness and warmth to the Christian message than you and I realize. And what has happened is that one of the beautiful opportunities brought on by this pandemic is that now you have 6.5 million people in Atlanta who have had things that have insulated them in America from asking the big questions. We have 350 million people that got absolutely in this pandemic, had everything that insulated them from existential realities ripped from them in a week. And it happened week after week after week the things that insulate us from thinking about the meaning of life, where America is a place you can do whatever you want and go wherever you want and do it with whoever you want to do. That's been taken away from people. Idols are falling. The story they've been told by parents is crumbling before them. The story they've been told by a narrative of a Western secular culture is crumbling right before us. There is a profound existential search going on in the lives of so many people right now. Churches across our nation are having people turn in and tune in to online services that have never looked at church before. People have stopped. People have paused. Their employment's up in the air. Their health is up in the air. They're in crisis mode because family members have died of COVID. They're in crisis mode because they don't know what comes next. Their social connections have changed. The freedoms of trips and barbecues and beaches and run anywhere you want to go on any break that you get in the Cherokee County School System and Cobb all of that stopped. And now all of these idols are following and 350 million people are put on pause. See, the story that was told to them is no longer working. The story they grew up with is falling. George Hunter, a Methodist theologian, he once said, when you are sharing the gospel with people, look for the gap between their idols. When you're sharing the gospel with people, look for the gap between their idols, where everything that people believed and all of a sudden is brought into question, their stories are unraveling. That is a moment where people are open to hear the gospel message. Y'all, whether you believe it or not, I'm gonna tell you what I believe. We are living through one of the greatest evangelistic openings we've ever lived through as Americans. Wide open, wide open. And we need to be aware of this. Is it everyone? No, no. But there is a large opening and a bunch of people are asking questions for the first time. And these people don't have any safe place to take their questions. So these people are looking to the church. These people are looking to other believers. And there's a profound search for meaning happening. We must recognize it. Now, when we look at it, let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This is Jesus giving a statement to the disciples before it became time for the birthday of the church. Now, here's what's so amazing. Jesus is talking to the disciples on the Mount of Olives before he ascends. He's about to ascend. And he says, but you, disciples, will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is a surprising moment. Hear me, church. The disciples have gone through several plot twists, three at minimum. Think about these plot twists. They have seen where they believe Jesus would be a messianic king who would come in and kick out the Romans and he would liberate them and lead them to a, a moment of political flourishing. Okay? I, I, every time I think about their perception, I can't help but think about the capital rights. I don't know how to separate those now. They are looking for someone to lead them to political flourishing. They have viewed Jesus as a Messiah, a Messianic king who would come and liberate them and allow flourishing to happen to the Jewish nation. But then Jesus dies. Plot twist. This is a shock because it went against everything they believed about a reigning king. That's shock number one. Well, then they disappear and go back to their ordinary lives and then Jesus rises on the third day and he starts appearing among them. Shift number two. Plot twist number two. He's now back. Now, can you imagine the incredible exhilaration the disciples felt when Jesus seems almost unbreakable and unbeatable. He's appearing in rooms. He's walking through doors. He's translating from Emmaus to Jerusalem. He doesn't even have, he just, he disappears. He comes through walls. He walks through studs. This same Jesus who performed miracles for three years, can you imagine what's going through their mind now? Don't think that the disciples thought in 40 days he's going back to the Father. Don't do that. You're reading back into the text. They see him risen thinking, what's he gonna do now? He's gonna overthrow the Romans. It's time. Yeah, now it's time for the kingdom to be restored to Israel. Where do things go from here? Imagine having that person lead you forward. But then, plot shift number three, he stands on the Mount of Olives and he passes across the baton and he tells them, I must go back to the Father. It's time for you to lead the mission of God on earth. And this is where the birthday or the age of the church begins. And they're called to abide with the Father. But they're not called just to abide anymore. They're called to go. So there's an activeness to this call. And he says, you will receive power. In other words, you must wait for power. Everybody say power. He said, you got to wait for the power. you got to wait, disciples, for the power. And then you'll be my witnesses. So let me talk for a few moments. Go and be witnesses. Go and be witnesses. We often, when we talk about sharing the gospel, we talk about in this term, we are witnessing to other people. You've heard it phrased. We are witnessing of Jesus. And Jesus is saying here that this is like a rock thrown into a pond. This mission's gonna reverberate outward. The message is first to go to people that you're in relationship with in Jerusalem, God's capital. Listen, disciples, it's gonna first affect your family relationships. This whole mission that I give you, it's gonna first affect the people around you. And then what's gonna happen? It's gonna expand outward like a ripples in a pond and it's gonna go to Judea and then it's gonna Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Hear me, church. There is a different precedent in the Old Testament from the New Testament. Next slide. The Old Testament is about come and see God. The New Testament is about go and tell about God. The Old Testament is about come and see God. Jerusalem is the capital. Jerusalem is God's capital to come and see what God's doing in the holy temple, in the tabernacle, in the tent of meaning. But now in the New Testament, it's about go and tell. Go and be 
witnesses. We've signed on to this mission to share the message of the resurrection of Jesus to everyone. And there are people here, even in our church today, that are called to go to other cities. You might not know it yet. There are people here today that are probably called to go to other countries and share this good news. But watch this, watch this. When we talk about this, when we have that paradigm I began with, circle monolithic culture. And then even when we transition to the new paradigm, all different subcultures. We still have this hesitation. We still have this impediment to sharing the gospel and to sharing our faith. Why? Hear me, church. Because we think of sharing the good news as just some kind of information exchange. I need to go out and I need to explain this bit of information. And then there is this tension building in our hearts before Missions March even comes on the schedule at DP. Because I've got this tension saying, how do I get them, monolithic culture, to believe this thing I actually believe? But if you think about the word witnesses, everybody say witnesses. It actually captures something much grander, something wider than simply the awkward exchange of information. Let me help you understand it. God has helped me with this, okay? I'm so excited to share this with you. I pray it helps you like it helps me. Let me, let me tell us, share with us, why I think we have such a problem with sharing the gospel. And the way I want to do that is by starting to look at who we are as human beings. What does it mean to be a human being? It means to be created in the image of God. The image of God is Father, Son, and Spirit. We as human beings are created in spirit, soul, and body. Next slide. We have a body, next slide, which we exist in the world. Okay, And that body that exists in the world is where we eat, next slide, and we touch, we live, there we go, we live and we walk and we express ourselves in the world. We have this body. Now, not only that, we have a division, watch this, between our soul and spirit. Hebrews 4 and 12 tells us that the word of God divides between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, bone, right? And, and, and so our soul, what is it? Our soul is our personality. Our soul is our will. Our soul is our desire. Our soul is our thoughts. Our soul is our mind. Our soul is our will, our emotions. Watch this. Our soul is our ambition. Our soul is our ideas. But then we have this spirit part of us. This part of us which communes with God. What communed with God in worship this morning was your top part. It's the spirit that communes with God. It was deadened in Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, the spirit of Adam and Eve was deadened. Now watch this, watch this. When it got deadened, at that moment, brokenness began to flow out of humanity. Why? Because of that moment on our spirit now gets confused or mixed with our soul. Humans now have a hard time deciphering between what is soulish and what is spiritual. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God divides between soul and spirit. So part, watch this, leave that up there, of being a follower of Jesus is understanding there's a right order to the Christian life. And there's a right order to how you should live the Christian life. God created the spirit for us to actually communicate with him. When you pray, you're praying out of the spirit man. That's where you dwell with him. That's where you commune with God. He also gave us a soul. Watch this. The soul is the translation point where God's spirit 
God's desires, God's dwelling with us is actually then translated into thoughts and desires. Watch this. When our spirit is in communion with Jesus, then what happens is God's thoughts, intentions, desires get replicated into our soul. They get translated into our thoughts, our will, our desire, and then it's enacted in the world through our body. Now watch this. Too often what we do is it's actually our soul which is leading, and we flipped it, where we are trying to live a life, watch this, even doing Christian things through our own strength, through our own wisdom, and you won't, you won't be able to tell this at most churches, whether someone's living from the soul or spirit. We, through our own wisdom, through our own dependency, through our own strength, through our own independence, through our own assertion of our will, through our own assertion of our emotions, watch this, that's the essence of what it means to be religious, is to do Christian things with our independence, with our strength, with our wisdom, with our ability. So following Jesus, watch this, means that we learn to commune with him to depend on him because he's leading us and to humbly go at his direction to have the communing moments we have with him be translated into our soul, which then begins to be enacted through our body. Listen, part of the problem, I believe, is that when we talk about sharing the gospel, next slide, we see that this is our soul, our human effort, our desires having to go to someone else's soul that is cut off from Jesus' spirit and we're trying to convince their soul of why they should follow Jesus. And we become nervous and we become awkward and we don't know what to say and we're turned inward and we, 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 we see it certainly as an impossible task because this is what we believe. How do I convince someone in 21st century Atlanta of my Christian belief? And I believe that our reaction against evangelism is actually coming from the fact that we're starting from the wrong point. We're starting from the wrong point. We see it as a wrestle. We see our soul, through our soul, we have to get into somebody else's life to wrestle their soul to the mat and get their soul into submission or believing. What is this? We are doing a religious attempt at converting people to Jesus. That's what we do. I want to read another verse that tells us and speaks of the concept of what it means to be a witness. And I pray this just enlightens your heart. This is 2 Peter. Peter, one of the key disciples of Jesus, writes at the end of his life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, read with me verse 16 through 19. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories... When we told you about the coming of our Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses. Everybody say eyewitness. You see the difference. There's witnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, the Father, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Next slide. We ourselves heard this voice. We were witnesses that came from heaven. We were with him on the sacred mountain, mountain of transfiguration, Mount Tabor. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 
This is a very different way to understand what it means to be a witness. What Peter is saying is that the evangelistic good news of Jesus and the message of Christianity is not just an intellectual argument. It's not just an exchange of information. It's not just a convincing of somebody else's soul. This is a witness, someone who has seen Jesus, someone who has experienced Jesus. Come on, I'm gonna preach myself happy this morning. Someone whose life has been touched by Jesus, someone whose family has has been transformed by Jesus, someone who's been on the high mountain and saw his glory. This is someone who has seen the glory of God in their own heart. This is someone who has been a witness to what God has done in their life, who went up on that mountain when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he got them out of all the voices of the valley, and he took them up onto the mountain of transfiguration, and the glory of God descended, and Jesus was seen for who he was. They they actually saw him for the glory glorious king that he was. They saw him transfigured before their eyes. They see him for who he is. They see a picture of the Trinity on earth and it's out of that space and out of that place which then their understanding and confidence in Jesus comes from. Peter said, we didn't make this up. This is something that actually happens to us. Look at me, church. We don't make the gospel up. The gospel happens to us. It happens to us. Witnessing is just sharing with others what the gospel did to us. What Jesus has performed for us. How he has transformed us. And when they communicate that, they are not just getting an intellectual argument. Yes, Christianity has the contours of an idea and an argument. And it is reasonable and it does make sense. But listen to me, church. There is a spiritual dynamic occurring when you open your mouth and share as a witness. And we need to move away from the concept of seeing evangelism as moving from our soul and our effort and our strength to try to convince someone else at work by an act of our will to become a Christian. We must realize that Jesus is a missionary God going into the world before us, drawing people to himself, and that he loves the world. He gave his soul for the world. And Jesus is whispering and is alluring people to him at all times. This is what Jesus is doing. He's drawing people to himself. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm all for apologetics. I love apologetics, but hear me. Apologetics does not create faith. It creates a climate favorable for faith, but it doesn't create faith. Listen, you can't argue people into the kingdom of God. The spirit of God touches your spirit and your spirit communicates to their spirit. Their spirit, the dead in spirit. And at this moment, in America, someone's out in nature this morning right now with eternity in their hearts and they're looking at the beautiful sunrise and they're asking, there must be someone behind all this creation. And Jesus, right now, while you're in church, is whispering to them. And there is someone in Woodstock right now at this moment where the stories they've been told by their parents or the culture around them are falling and crumbling and the idols are dropping. And maybe they're believing there's something more. And at this moment, guess what? The Holy Spirit's whispering to them. 
He is a missionary God who's gone out before us. People who come to faith in Jesus, they come to DP and I hear their story. I'm a pastor. I hear stories after story where someone at work, they say, how'd you come to Jesus? Well, someone at work talked about Jesus. And then a few weeks later, a relative mentioned Jesus. And that's how it happens. What happens is that Jesus goes out before and he begins to draw people to himself. This is Jesus working on people's hearts. And he wants us to be witnesses to what we have seen. Hear me, church. We've got to get out of maintenance most. We've got to get out of COVID pandemic mode. We as a church, I feel it, I sense it, I know it because I pastor this congregation, have got to get out of focus on ourselves and survival. And we've got to get back to thriving in the mission of God. We've got to get back to asking God, where is he going out before us? Who is he whispering to? And how do I become a witness of his majesty? Who can I talk to about what he's done in my life? How can I be sensitive to the work of your spirit? How can I be sensitive, God, to the nudge of what you're doing in our culture? Because Jesus is active in the world, drawing people to himself. I remember a few years ago, I was at a meeting of people and there was one man who I would have believed would never be open to the gospel. And we got into this religious conversation and he was so obnoxious. And I, I was depending on my own, my own soul to, to fill it out and making a judgment. I thought this man would never listen to the gospel. There's no way this person would ever want the gospel. And then all the room dissipated and they left and this guy sat across the table from me. And you know what he said to me? He said, things have not been really going good in my life right now. Would you talk to me just a little bit about your Christian faith? And you know what happened? I was looking at the situation and judging it by the external, not realizing there were more open and the protective armor came down. He had that protective armor in front of other people, but his spirit had been being drawn to Jesus. And there are people in this city who are being drawn to Jesus. So we don't do it in our own strength. We don't take our soul and wrestle somebody else's soul. The Holy Spirit's drawing. So what we do is we commune with the Holy Spirit. And then watch this. We partner with God as he draws people to him. So next slide. This is like doing evangelism from the top of the mountain. Doing mission from the top of the mountain. From the top of majesty, where it's actually clear, and Jesus' majesty is what draws people to him. Jesus' glory is what draws people to him. And we need to do evangelism from, listen to me, from that spirit place. We gotta do it from the power of God. We gotta do it from where Jesus has empowered us. So let me give you three quick things to reframe this for you. I wanna reframe this evangelistic speech for you. Number one, we have to look for the God-shaped holes. In our culture, we got to look for the God-shaped holes. Humans were created in image of God. Our spirit, listen, is created to commune with God, right? Our spirit's created to talk to God. It was deadened by sin. It was broken by sin. When that part of us, the spirit, is not filled, we look to feel that in other places. Blaise Pascal called it the God-shaped hole. The, the emptiness in each person, and we look to feel it, and we try to feel it from our soul. We try to feel it from our brokenness. So there is a great human effort right now in the world to look for God through human achievement. So we think the more human achievement we have, we're gonna feel that empty spot. We think the more that we do and share with the world what we do, we're gonna feel that empty spot. And we try to fill it with jobs, and we try to fill it with addictions, and we try to fill it with all kinds of dysfunctional behavior, and only God can feel it. Let me tell you what the pandemic did. The pandemic revealed the holes. 
It revealed so many holes. So many holes have been exposed by the pandemic where the insulatory issues and things that we use to insulate ourselves as Americans have been ripped. And people look at the world and realize it won't move on in the same stable way. There is no, there is no going back to what it used to be. And they're open to the gospel in ways that we don't believe. So we have to look around ourselves for the God-shaped holes. We have to look for the gap between idols. We have to be sensitive. Number two, the second thing is to realize that it's impossible for you to not share the gospel. It's just which gospel are you sharing? It is impossible for you not to share the gospel. The question is, which gospel are you sharing? As humans, we have a spirit, right, that communes with God. We have that soul. What is the soul? The seat of our ego the seed of our mind, will, and emotions, that then we have a body, watch this, in which we are in in the world. But humans are continually living by a story. Everybody say story. The good news is a story. It's a story of God's love. It's a story of his love for all of humanity. So hear me, church. There is no neutral point where you aren't sharing a gospel. A gospel is a good news story that you believe is an answer for the world. There is the get a job, make lots of money, have a good life gospel. That's here in America. There are political gospels. There is a gospel of romance. There is a gospel of manipulation. There's so many gospels in our world right now. The question is, which one are you living? Which one are you embodying? It's impossible as humans to not give off a story. And when we put aside our ego and we put aside our feelings and we put aside our emotions and we put aside our will and we become aligned with God, we commune with the spirit, which translates into our soul, which is enacted in our body, then people see something different in you. People see something different in me. In a world of fake news, in a world of information overload, and it's only gonna get worse, folks. You know the most alarming stat to me right now, I read several weeks ago, a single edition of the New York Times one day contains more information than a 17th century person would have encountered in their entire lifetime. In the 17th century, you would have never encountered enough information to amount for one edition of the New York Times. You know what's going to cut through the mess? You know what's going to cut through the complexity, not more information? You know what's going to cut through all the reality and complexity of our world? The thing that cuts through the noise is a holy people on fire with the Holy Spirit who have understood the mission of God, who have communed in their spirit, translated to their soul, and enacted in their body. That's what cuts through the complexity. It's what draws people to you, and what people want, y'all, is not us. What people want is the Holy Spirit that's living through our life because our life has become an open vessel. We've become malleable clay in the potter's hands. We've become a city on a hill, the light in a storm. We are a magnet to people. And listen, as we abide and as we are renewed, we must go because if we are not going, we are not abiding and we are not being renewed. As we align ourselves, spirit, soul, body, we become magnets to hurting people. Thirdly, that leads me, we must switch the power source. We must switch the power source. We've been thinking about evangelism in our own steam. We've been thinking about it as a soul wrestling match. A few years ago, when DP first started, when we relaunched, we were in Missions March, 
And I don't know if you know this or not, but we, we pastors, we do things sometimes and then we forget that we actually have to do what we tell you to do. And I said one Sunday, let's pray for opportunities this week. And we spent about five minutes praying for gospel opportunities in the next seven days. And then it hit me about Monday. Wait, I haven't been praying for me to find gospel opportunities. And so, okay, God, give me gospel opportunities. I think it was like Wednesday that week. I go to visit someone in our church at their work. When I walk in, they introduce me to a coworker. The coworker comes outside with me. When I'm standing outside, the coworker asks me, "What do you do?" And I said, "I pastor a church." And she said, "Would you tell me all about Jesus?" And I said, "What? This is too easy." Listen to me. It hit me. So much of what I do, I do in my own steam. We have to pray for gospel opportunities this week. It'll happen. We have to pray this week. We have to position ourselves this week. God, give me the boldness and the courage, the transfiguration moment to be a witness to somebody else of what you've done with me. We need to pray God would show us people that he's been drawing to him. We need to pray this week for the people around us. Why? Because we are empowered of the Holy Spirit to wait and be empowered. The Holy Spirit is drawing people to himself. And this is beyond just an intellectual exchange. It's the Holy Spirit's work. And then doing evangelism is like riding on the wave of the Holy Spirit. It's like riding on the wave of what he's already doing. Where is he? If you go through your Monday this week, what is he doing? Father, where do you want me to spend time today? Father, who do you want me to speak to today? Father, who can I, who can I, who can I at even Texaco or, or Racetrack or QT, who can I be sensitive to that you're already drawing their heart? How can I open my mouth, Father? Who can I speak to? Why? Because we have a missionary God who's already in the world. We're not taking God to anywhere in the world. He's already gone before us and he's drawing people to himself and the world is going through a transition. Let's evangelize in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's an existential quest. Idols are falling. We got to step into that moment. Church, listen to me. What if what seemed like a disruption called a pandemic is actually an opportunity? Are we ready for what God wants to do next? I'm asking you seriously, church. Are we ready for what God wants to do next in this congregation? Please, please, wipe your, your mind clean of, of a normal Sunday message where I just hear the word of God. Let me speak to you for the few moments I have and ask as your pastor, are we ready for what God wants to do in this church, in this city? Are we ready? We must be a church that has put aside our soulish ego our own opinions, our own ambitions, our own will, our own thoughts, and we must, be in, we must be in proper alignment. We must be in proper alignment with our soul being pushed to the side, with our heart set on Jesus, because there will be a unique expression in the world coming out of Dwelling Place Church. Because of our place and our time, God has set this church to have a unique expression Imagine us being a people connected to the Spirit that will give us spiritual authority. If we can connect to the Spirit and commune with the Spirit, we will have spiritual authority. When I open up my mouth, miracles start breaking out. I have the authority Jesus has given me. We can't just sing that song a minute ago and then leave here with no authority. We can't sing that song and doubt and let all kinds of infertility of doubt well up in our heart and don't think that we have any capacity when we open up our mouths. 
No, we have capacity because we were on the mount with majestic glory. And we spoke of the witness. We spoke of what we've seen and what Jesus has done. Y'all, we don't need flashier churches. We don't have to have the worship, best worship band ever. Coming out of this pandemic, we don't have to have the best preaching ever. We need churches that are centered on the spiritual authority that comes from depending on Jesus himself. That we are communing with Jesus. There is an opportunity on the other side of this Redwelling Place Church. I'm telling you, there is an opportunity. You say, what is the goal? It's not to go back to what it used to be. It's not to try to recreate what it was before the pandemic. No, it's for us to emerge as a people closer to Jesus, being renewed by Jesus, where the mission of Jesus is natural for us, where we are so in love with Jesus that we tell people about Jesus. Because as we watch this, as we go together, we grow together in Jesus' name. Yes, churches won't make it through this. The latest stat is about 25%. But hear me, church, there is a profound opportunity for Dwelling Place Church to be alive in God's presence, to be preaching his word to being his hands and feet in the world. And I, as your pastor, I'm telling you, let's grab the opportunity and let's move into the future God has for us. When you think of Ephesians 4, you think of fivefold giftings and you think of the fivefold expressions of the church. And when each of these expressions and gift sets find their fruition in the church, five marks mark the church. Next slide. I put this together for you, the apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoring, and teaching gift. If you have an apostolic gift operating, you have a missional impact. If you have a prophetic gift operating, you get covenant faithfulness. If you have an evangelistic gift operating, you have gospel proclamation. If you have a shepherd in leadership, you have a reconciled community. If you have a teaching gift, you have deep wisdom. The red ones are the ones that we must grow in in 2021. See, for, so, for years, we've been in this mode where everybody has turned inward to deal with the shepherding issues of transformation. And we've been there for it. I've been there, I've been there almost probably with all of you in some set-down conversation, just us, about the shepherding of your soul. It's time for us to have missional impact and to have gospel proclamation. To see that mark build in our congregation DP, we're in a season where we can cry out to God. There is a sense in which the story, and this is the crazy thing, the story which is being told, and here's how I'll end. The story that's being told in our nation right now is a story of decline. So this is what people talk about. The light of the Christian faith is going out. Is a decline taking place. The story I hear from people even in this church is family members are walking away from the face. I talk to young adults and they say they're the only one in their class that's following Jesus. So we hear these phrases that the light of faith is going out. The battle's too large to fight. But the strategy that God outlined for us is the four G's. That we gather, that we would group, that we would grow and we would give as we would go. And the strategy that God outlined for us, here's what it's done. It has started as a seed in 2000. 12, 2013. It started as a seed and they begin to grow and take root. Let me tell you right now in 2021, there are roots and shoots growing up all over the place. And God is allowing us to press into renewal. He's allowing us as a church to press into a new season. 
to see new creation breaking out around us, to realize we can't do this in our own strength, to realize the mission of God is still waiting on the table for us. This is a crisis time. This is a time where we are in major crisis globally. But listen to me, church, listen to me. All throughout the Bible and all throughout church history, every time you read about crisis, crisis always precedes awakening. In the Bible, awakening comes on the tail end of crisis. In church history, awakening happens in nations on the tail end of crisis mode, on the tail end of decline. And so we we are joining God in the restoration of all things. That's what our call is here in Woodstock. So so I've used these phrases in my own language and leadership. Next slide. And I want to kind of paint the picture for us. Renewal is fresh work and momentum. Revival is where dead things come back to life. But awakening is overflow that transforms society and culture. Y'all, we have seen signs of the first and we're seeing signs of renewal. But let me tell you something. We have not seen revival and we have not seen awakening. We have to what? Prepare ourselves and plead with God and cry out to God. We want to see revival in our land. We want to see an awakening that transforms regions and transforms cities and transforms nations. We have, to, we have to commune and ask and intercede and believe that God, this is what you want. And the strategy God is leading us to, we have a sense that God is moving among us. But there's one keystone revival verse in the Bible. It's used in every major history of revival in the church. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And he said, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send COVID-19 among my people, if my people who are, it doesn't say that, plague means pandemic, it's the exact word in Hebrew. Among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Y'all, we are moving from decline to renewal. But this pandemic has created a new additional opportunity. And this is how I want you to see it. We are in crisis. We are asking God for renewal or awakening. And what we do is what the people of God did. We want to pray and immediately go from here to there. But this verse is outlining a middle stage. It's called the preparation stage. It's where we are as a church right now. I'm telling you, it's where we are. It's where we are as a community and a local fellowship. A preparation. There's an in-between stage. We have to go through a process of humbling ourselves. And this verse comes when Israel is about to enter into a new reality. Israel has been given a new temple by Solomon. This is the place where the priest couldn't go in to minister because the glory of God was so strong. And Solomon calls people to consecrate themselves to the purpose of God. And they want to move straight from crisis to renewal. And God says, before I stop the pandemic, you got to go through the process. Before I stop the crisis, you got to go through the process. And what is the preparation to humble ourselves? Listen to me, folks. If the crisis is deep, that means the preparation from our church is going to have to be deep because the renewal will break out in ways we could never imagine. Why are you going through what you're going through? Why am I as a leader of this congregation going through what I'm going through? Because if the crisis is deep, the preparation must be deep because the renewal will be wide. And this process is so key, church. It's so key. It's so key. So last three things I'll give you. Come on, man. We got to get all the gold out of this in-between stage. Meaning we, gotta, we are knee-deep in mud, but there, are, there is gold to be found at this time. There's revelations to be found at this time. Number two, the battle for renewal is actually won in preparation. 
Look at me, church. The humbling, look at me, the humbling God is calling us to right now is an actual investment so that we can be effective in the future. That's, what he, that's where we are. The humbling. God is creating something unique. When I was praying for this church this week, I felt the Lord give me a word. And he said, Craig, just a simple statement. He said, I'm creating resilient disciples in dwelling place. That's what he said. Resilient. Resilient. Crisis deep, preparation deep, renewal wide. And listen, folks. Even though we can't plan, we can prepare. Because number three, the plan is a person. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So hear me, church. We realize we don't need a plan because we have a person. God in our day is calling us as a church to humbly submit ourselves to turn from our wicked ways confess our sin that renewal might begin in us you know what Woodstock needs they need more than just Christians they need new creation breaking out your homes need new creation breaking out (laughs) some of you have been fighting the same habitual sin year after year after year and you feel so entangled in the complexity of a mess that it's your deepest reality and point want to be liberated from you need new creation breaking out new creation and God calls us to humble ourselves position ourselves prepare ourselves why? that we might be witnesses look for the God-shaped holes be empowered of God stop wrestling other souls with your soul switch the power source Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.